Hello everyone and welcome to the first Royal Automobile Club talk show in association with Motorsport of 2017. We've got a fantastic lineup of talk shows this year and starting things off, uh, we are joined by the legend that is Tom Christensen. Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Um, extremely kind. Thank you, my pleasure. Um, also joining me is Jack Phillips, making his podcast debut, the online content assistant at Motorsport Magazine, and of course, Alan Hyde, the wizard behind the mixer, um, who makes us all sound uh, a lot better than we do in real life. Um, Tom, you, a very busy few days for you. Uh, you're off to Race Retro tomorrow. You're, doing, you're very kindly joining us now, but you've also been at the, uh, the club's annual, annual dinner last night. Yeah, it was, uh, was a very nice uh, event. 160 people, uh, a black tie dinner. John Heinhoff interviewed me uh, kindly and, and obviously very, very, very good on, on the stage. So in this building, which has so much history and when you're walking around here you you absolutely um, feel a lot of the heritage from our great sport and it's, it's, when we walked in this morning you couldn't miss the r10 that amazingly these cars they get through the front door up the stairs and in um do, does it still give you sort of you know when you see your see the old cars that you know they are sorry it's the r15 um when you see them do you you know do you get a little twinge of kind of history and, and all that yeah, it's 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 uh, it's it's lovely to uh, to see it. But actually, when when I arrived, you know, they said, <laughs> "Welcome to the Royal Automobile Club, sir." And uh, could I help you with your parking? And I said, "No, thank you. It's done." <laughs> and uh, they didn't quite get the joke, <laughs> but I mean, it's still it's still um, it it's it's for sure something which I. It's not the car I actually drove. It's actually the winning car that that, that year, uh, two thousand and ten. But um, certainly. It's uh, it's some of the cars which I really really like, yeah. and uh, those that are watching on the video rather than just listening to the audio, you will see that we have Tom's book, which is called the book. Um, it's absolutely amazing, three point five kilogram sort of photo history of of Tom's life, um, and then sitting on top of the book, um, we have this this goblet from the club that is given to each guest who who comes to the annual motoring dinner. Yeah, in retirement, I was very surprised that after. After the, um, they gave me uh, a trophy, so getting a trophy, a nice one, uh, absolutely, it's it's very nice. Now, looking into sort of your history and things, there's a big anniversary this year, and it's 20 years since that first Le Mans, your first Le Mans, your first win. Um, does it feel like 20 years? I mean, because so much has happened in between, but. No, no. In short, it doesn't. But obviously, in these two decades, when you look about what the race is, what we have done, it it has been a very, very busy twenty years. But um, it has been a fantastic journey. Um, but no, twenty years ago, arriving first time to Le Mans, and you know, it's it's a little bit similar experience. Like you know, when you arrive at Le Mans, that poor, that's a great circuit. Um, you feel that. You know what's all the heritage and the history when you are walking around when you come there first time. So for sure, you are very kind of concentrated, starstruck. You know you have a chance which you have to 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 do uh, well. You get an opportunity and uh, you have to uh, to grab it with with both hands and more. And your teammates that year, Alberto and uh, Stefan Johansson, they were sort of. They were. I mean, obviously, you had, you had your experience in Formula Three Thousand, and you know you're working your way up the motorsport ladder. Was it daunting being dropped into that team at the last seconds with with drivers like that? 
Yeah, it was, but but again, I felt it really much like an opportunity to really to do well. But I mean, to arrive and to get the call two days before the 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 the, the, the race because pre-testing was done, it was uh, it was it was fantastic. Uh, to make it short, I got the call from Ralf Jutner on the Thursday evening if I was interested to drive at Le Mans, and I was playing tennis. It was just the mobile phones were just started at that time, and yes, I could be interested. <laughs> and uh, and uh, then I uh, the next day I flew down to to Yerst and the team had just left for Le Mans uh, so um, sort of the the facility was pretty empty but um, after we did a letter of intent and and uh, the secretary Sigrun at the time was doing um, the contract we went downstairs and they showed me the premises there was one monocoque in the corner and one of the mechanics were there. Me, and Reinhold Joost, um and they said, "Jump in it." It was uh, the, the the chassis we used last year, and I think it's even Michaela's seed. I heard with the mechanic uh, say, so I sort of got that, jumped in, and ooh, I'm I sit perfectly in this one. And they sort of looked at me, you know, I was getting a little bit too. Uh, so uh, no, but I, if the brake pedal could come a little bit back, then it would be perfect for me. And then the mechanic, I mean, he bent over to me and sort of wanted to whisper me something, but he then say. In our team, der schnellste bestimmt. In our team, the fastest decide. And I was like, oh, I thought I blew it. But anyway, I got the contract, and to cut it a bit short, um, meeting Michele and, and Stefan was, was fantastic. They really embraced me in the team uh, of saying that how happy they were that I, I was joining them, not telling me what to do, but by giving me a lot of support and giving me that they have seen and heard what I did in Japan, what I did in 3000, um, they really helped me and, and I felt good. And then I started asking, what are you doing in this corner? Because there was no telemetry back then. You know, it was really, which gear you used there? And Mikhail was, I don't know, second or third? <laughs> uh, I don't <laughs> Thanks, know. Michele. I don't know completely. But, um, all right. But, and, you know, they, of course, they started to think of that as well and, and gave me very good feedback. I did 17 time laps in practice. And, um, and I think... Uh, your colleague Simon Aaron ha must have met me in the evening after I did my first stints because I I have a Betamax video of that and I sound <laughs> hilarious. I sound like I'm on helium, <laughs> having just experienced driving into the um, into the sunset and uh, with the passing of the slower cars and I speak very very fast and I'm I'm, I'm I did pretty well in two stints but I was not uh, not blindingly fast. That came in the night. Um, after uh, in my third stint, suddenly it was different than when Ralf Jutner told me to pit stop, pit in, next lap, fuel only. Then suddenly he came on the um, on the radio and said, uh, "Schnellste Runde, Tom, schnellste Runde. Du hast die schnellste Runde gemacht. Sehr schön, sehr gut." And that was pretty good. And driving at night. For for those ignorant um, people like myself who, who don't speak. Um, German. What, what was he saying on the on the radio? <laughs> Sorry. He, yeah, he was saying that I did the, the the fastest race lap, and doing that into the third stint at Le Mans, being there with so few laps before the the race was fantastic. Shortly la later, uh, I got a clear lap, and to be honest, in my 18 years at Le Mans, I've not had 10 clear laps, and to have one in your first race uh, was fantastic because when that happened, uh, he came on the radio and uh, he was shouting at me, "Easy Tiger, Easy Tiger, you did a, you you have done a new lap record, you have a new lap record, Easy." And you know, to get a German to speak English, <laughs> that's pretty good. And uh, that sort of made my my debut a lot easier. But it was the whole thing. 
Michaela, Stefan, Reinhold Jürs and, and the little team. There was only 12 mechanics, you know. Uh, now, I mean, the last race with Audi, uh, with three cars, we were 140 mechanics. So you see, to being part of all that uh, uh, progressing over these 20 years has been uh, absolutely amazing. But still, my, my highlight is, is when we then eventually won Le Mans because the works, works Porsches broke down and uh, we put them a lot under pressure and, um, and, and taking the lead uh, two hours before the end, when I was driving, giving the car to Michaela was 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 fantastic. But it was what happened afterwards when the car had passed Gutenering. We were having a barbecue up at the small little camper and the tent, and uh, the team was there having their Weiss beer and uh, Bockwurst, Frankfurter, Weisswurst, whatever on the grill. And I had gathered enough uh, confidence that I had the beer and I could see in their faces because they were the original mechanics of US racing when, when Reinhold was driving himself. And I got sort of the respect that they looked at me with a little bit more respect than in the beginning, obviously, but they embraced me well. Then I went up, put a finger in the back of Jürgen and I said, Jürgen, next year it's possible to have the, to have the brake pedal a little bit more back <laughs> in German. And, um, and he... Uh, he couldn't help himself. So that moment is um, my dad always loves when uh, uh, when I tell about that because I think it means uh, it's a such a small uh, moment in time. But having the first race to go so well for sure has has been very important for my career at Le Mans. What was the uh, car like? Because it was quite an old car by that point compared to the GT ones. How was the car to drive? The car was uh, pretty physical to drive. Um, I mean, you as an expert can tell me a little bit about where it goes from in terms of uh, it was originally designed by uh, TWR with Ross Braun being sort of a Jaguar, being going into the Porsche works, trying to go to Daytona. You yep. got the anyway, a long story, but the car physical to drive, no power steering, uh, right hand drive car, um, um, unsynchronized hedge pattern, Porsche gearbox, obviously and uh, open car and the thing was what I learned from that race which was probably what was close to bite me uh, to be honest because sitting in the seat and saying it's perfect or it's not so when you're driving and uh, with Michaela's seat I have put a little bit into it for sure but if you're not sitting well in a 24 hour race it's gonna bite you a lot and I look like um, a, a timber man uh, <laughs> a blind timber man after my fingers were completely I was I was completely worn out. I think we had a Formula 3000 test uh, three or four days later at Mugello, and I was completely um, finished uh, still for that test. <laughs> I was going to ask actually whether it's, you know because you you did the, the four stints during the night and um, you did a, a lot of the driving. Um, you'd, you'd been racing in Formula 3000, which is very physical, but nothing like the 24 hours at Le Mans. Wait, I mean, you obviously weren't physically prepared, I guess. Did you know that going into it, or was that a sort of a shock, how physical it was? I think I, I was physically prepared, but I was not mentally in, in that, that prepared in that sense. And the car, you know, not sitting completely perfect in the car. And the thing back then, the, the surface on the road had a lot of uh, rots from, from, from chocks and lorries. So obviously with the white tires and, 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 and the Porsche not being so, uh, having a lot of aerodynamics, it was a, a heavy car. Uh, so it was always pulling on the straights, uh, of course on the on the on the camber on the road, 
because today it's it's new asphalt more or less around the, the the track. Back then it was not. So in that sense, it was much more physical. It was more bumpy as well, and um, and obviously it's a long race. And if you already always tense, you obviously <laughs> are tense for a long time. So I think it was more that the in that that I was I was driving too tense. I wanted it too much to make sure that uh, nothing would go wrong. I'm, I'm for sure driving more relaxed other times when I'm in the race car than that particular year because I know I needed it. Mm. When um, when you first sort of went out and you're doing the night stints and and you you know you're going down the Mulsanne, you the cars dropping into these ruts, you're coming across traffic everywhere. There's slow cars, fast cars. There's there's good drivers, bad drivers. Was there not a part of you having come from Formula Three thousand, thinking what? What am I doing here? What is this race? You know, I mean, obviously you knew about it. You knew no, because do you don't think that because when you enter it, you're entering it to do like it is, and you don't start to think about what you should do differently. You try to get on with it in the best possible way, but it, it's it's for sure it's great challenges, and uh, and you you have really to be be aware. And I I tell you, I'm not saying every lap, but <laughs> many times. Um, you have that these situations where you 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 have to commit and uh, because as i said in in 18 years with uh, all the, the the laps you told me um only 10 maybe has been uh, clear laps the rest is uh, is probably average of passing uh, four five six or seven cars per lap so jack just before i come to you i just, we were talking before the podcast that um Tom's done over 2,000 racing laps at Le Mans, which is a, an, an amazing number of laps. Um, sorry, Jack, we wanted to ask something. Uh, yeah, we were talking the other day in the office about the difference between teams like Go and Champion and Yoast. Why, why do Yoast succeed and teams like Go and Champion didn't have the same success? Yeah, um, it, to be honest, I, I, I think I see that's very similar because only only two times I have been driving at Le Mans as a one-car entry. And the first time was with Joost in the Porsche in the beginning, the, and then it was with Team Go in 2004. And uh, there is something very, very nice for the drivers to know that in that pit, in that garage, everything, all the concentration, all the hard work and, and focus goes into one car. But of course, I also see it makes the, the 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 team owners, the team managers, very vulnerable with only one car in that sense. Um, but there is something very very nicely about it. So I think that's where I would compare that to. Actually, with Champion, we were two cars and two, um, as always, without in the teams, equally strong cars uh, going into the race. And we had that year in 2005 to uh, to find uh, to fight the faster Pescarolo cars, which were, I mean beforehand easy going to win because we were we we had 50 kilos extra as a ballast weight success ballast put into the car with a narrow rear wing so on speed we couldn't win but but again efficiency strategy and and taking um, risk and it paid off it happened to be that our car won that race uh, but that was with a, 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 the last victory with the Audi R8 which won five times I was very um, privileged to be part of the driver team every time it won but that car was at that time very well tested due to the three years with team Joost and Audi of the of the works teams era of 2001 and 02. Um, I'm going to sort of come back to them on a bit but I was chatting to Simon Aaron our features editor in the office yesterday 
Um, and he told me this wonderful story of him in 1996 in the press room at Spa. And you wandered in, uh, this is for the Formula 3000 round, and um, he said, well, what are, you, what are you doing here? And you said, well, I'm just sort of trying to learn the track, really. And Simon then introduced you to his computer game on his laptop, and you did two laps. Apparently, you had a massive off in a Tyrrell at Eau Rouge on the game. And then your second lap was faster than anything he'd ever managed. Anyway, from this, you then went out and put it on pole. <laughs> Is, is that is that how you remember it? That's uh, that that's uh, that's how I remember it. But I also remember from my time in in Japan, Japan with with Jacques Villeneuve, and he was also first time at um, to be honest at uh, at Spa, and he said he had learned it on a computer game, so it was very good. But it was a bit late. I I tried to learn it from from Simon, but for sure he must have me given me some good tips. Uh, so I was on pole and Jack was on pole in F1. So um, it, it it worked quite well for us first time out, um, even though that. I didn't win the race. I think I finished second or third. I was passed up the hill on the on the first lap out of out of a rouge. So I might have taken a rouge a little bit too too careful, unfortunately. But that's I will blame. Si you can blame Simon for that. Otherwise, yeah, I might Simon. have won. <laughs> that's brilliant. Dear, we've we've mentioned um, you know the, the racing in Japan and things. As I think whenever I hear you talk about your racing in Japan, you obviously absolutely loved that period of your career because you're quite. You were out there for quite a long time, weren't you? And I've got a sort of list here. Um, you won the Japanese Championship in F3, the World Final at Fuji's. You were second at Macau. Um, touring cars, twice runner-up in the championship. And you also raced Nissan Skylines. Um, and there's a load of racing out there. A little uh, bit of GT racing with Toyota Supra yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so what, what was it that was so fun out there? Was it that period of your life when the, sort of the world was slightly at your feet? Or what, what was it? Um... After when I won German F3, I was I was testing for a few good teams. Uh, one I introduced from uh, introduc uh, from from uh, Sanadi, testing in Mugello, doing things. But they needed a budget, not a lot of budget, but I didn't have it. So I went to Japan. Japan is good for all the drivers going there. Uh, infrastructure uh, of a lot of different circuits, a lot of different kinds of circuits. Uh, in Europe, we have to be careful. We don't make every circuit try to look very similar. Uh, in Japan, um, they got a lot of uh, factories uh, from tire manufacturers, uh, car manufacturers, and in in all the sense, they, they got a fantastic, um, fantastic motorsport country for that. And uh, we, as guidians, living over there at that time, I mean. As you know, I I, I, can't, I came in Formula 3 with Toms, and uh, that was uh, Jacques Villeneuve, Richard Rydell, uh, Anthony Reid, Richard Dean, Nico Palharas, Junior Visco. Uh, who do I, I miss a few, sorry. But then in 3000, it was Mauro Martini, Jeff Krosner, Roland Ratzenberger, Ross Cheever, Andrew Gilbert Scott, Mauro Martini, Eddie Irvine, uh, Johnny Herbert, um, uh, Marco Apicella. Just to mention a few, so a lot of uh, uh, great drivers and a, a great camaraderie there, uh, and we were not necessarily uh, fighting over um, on the track, but we were not fighting over the seats um, outside of the outside of the, the community. So we we spent quite a lot of times together doing the traveling between the different uh, circuits, and I think I have a lot to to thank Japan and the country and the infrastructure of of, of racing. Still seems to be a bit of a hub for sports car drivers, doesn't it? Japan, it's a super formula. You've got Lotterer, Duval. Um, is that something you've had a influence on? 
from inside Audi saying um, I, I remember that I, would, I, would, I won't don't have to take credit for that but we have uh, we have certainly Joe Hausner from Audi uh, and I've always explained with that the drivers who succeed in Japan they they have to go in my mind um, through hard um, sort of tasks they to, to produce these results what they have done in Japan uh, to go so much away from home the motivation of doing it in a completely different world it it, it, it takes a mental a, a bit of a, a different attitude and uh, I think that's a good attitude to have in a, in a race car driver to be able to focus exactly on what you have to do in the car within the team you are in and to go through the school of driving in Japan at the different tracks at the different opportunity with the testing uh, and 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 you just have to check a few circuits like I'm sure uh, Audi did and with, with Dr. Ulrich and Joe Hausner and, and I sort of told them the, f the drivers who are fast at these circuits uh, these are what you have to look at, and it's it's clearly that uh, Loig under a lotter and uh, Trelio they came out uh, out through that with very high notes. Uh, sorry, you drove the uh, Group C out there as well, didn't you? The Toyota Group C. Uh, no, I did one race, uh, right. and I did some testing. Uh, uh, I think I did some testing with Toyota back then. You can ask them if it's true or not. But I did the traction control test of the, the, the Toyota TSO uh, ten at the, the Yamaha test circuit. And if I look today at how that circuit and how fast I went around that track and tried to spell <laughs> to something like safety and being young and th then I think I might have done the testing because some of more experienced drivers have said maybe they, uh, they couldn't do that day. They were busy with other things. <laughs> um, but I did that and I, 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 for sure, this is something which helped me when I had the, my debut. Uh, <laughs> at Le Mans, uh, clearly. But driving that car was, was fantastic. And I was hoping to get into Le Mans that year uh, when I was then told, no, I should focus on, on winning the, the Japanese F3 championship. Um, uh, but I was close to getting to Le Mans with Toyota back then. So already back then I was thinking as a very young man uh, to, uh, to go to Le Mans one, uh, one day. But the race we did was in Mina and uh, the pairing was with uh, Eddie Irvine and, and Jack Villeneuve and we were actually going well. We, 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 we could have won the race but we, we lost a gear, I think third gear or fourth gear, I'm not sure, but, with, um, uh, but we finished on the podium. Um, and um, it was nice times. It's, it's interesting that you're saying that you're already looking at Le Mans that, you know, when you were competing in F3. Um, and I think it's, it's sort of happening again nowadays because there are so few seats in Formula 1 that, and sports cars is such a, a valid career still. What's, when was it that you decided actually 100% sports cars? Because obviously you're doing your F1 testing. Um, was there a moment when you thought, you know what, this, this is what I want to be doing? Um... <laughs> It was all always parallel because uh, my initial, the first uh, success I, I had at Le Mans, the years with 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 US Porsche and then with with BMW and with Williams. I mean, I I still remember that 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 that, that call from from uh, from Frank. Hello, Tom. It's Frank Williams here. I would love you to test our cars at Magna Cour. That was great, and I think I did well. And I'm sure Patrick had have helped push in that direction because he came out with uh, to support John Russell and the team when we did the when when we did the the the, the testing with um, with um, uh, BMW LMR the the V12 the with the one with a single roll hoop which. We won Sebring and Le Mans within 99. 
Um, so it always focused on Le Mans and being with a manufacturer, what has always been very important for me. Uh, I realized that's what I have to do if I can jump onto Formula One. I mean, you cannot give up a dream like that, uh, uh, which I had as a childhood dream. But in reality, I've been very, very fortunate, and it led to that meeting with Dr. Ulrich in the end of '99 because they were at the pit garage next to us when I drove for for BMW uh, Schnitzer uh, with the with the, with the, with the Williams car, and um, and when I signed with Dr. Ulrich, I think that time I wanted to go. 100% sports cars. But even that, that was when I was testing for Michelin in Formula One the following year. So I always said, okay, if it happens, it happens. But only if it's a, if it's a good competitive team and they would support me for, uh, for um, more, than, uh, more than a year. And uh, that didn't come up. So, but I'm blessed with sports cars. And I think sports cars for a driver is uh, healthier, is better. And I certainly have enjoyed uh, that entire time uh, very much. It's interesting because I, I think I remember reading somewhere that you uh, you obviously approached by ID and they showed you a drawing of the R8 yeah. and you had then you actually signed the deal that day. Ah, uh, we gave was a handshake. It, yeah, a handshake. Um, but oh, sounds that's much better than actually signing a deal, isn't it? Yeah. Um, what what was it? That, I mean, I know Audi is this huge manufacturer, um, loads of success in motorsport before their sort of recent Le Mans um, victories. But what was it that made you shake that hand? Because if it was me, I would be like, well, it's, it's a lovely sketch, but... Yeah, um, Dr. Ulrich told me they will have a long-term commitment. I never expected it to be, uh, yeah, for Audi, it's more than 20 years. Uh, I didn't expect that, but but he sort of said, we we, we, we ain't it and we will try to, uh, to, to win it. And he showed me around and, and meeting the people and at Ingolstadt and the people it just yelled immediately I just had that feeling that these people uh, wants to very much to win and to win the right way and work hard for it and um, that feeling that gut feeling uh, absolutely I, w I was blessed with the best decision I've made in racing and of course Dr. Ulrich attracted a lot of others and he, he mentioned that the other drivers he was thinking about bringing in I mean I was well, I was partnered with Bila Piro but of course there was um, uh, McNish coming in uh, Michele Alboreto uh, in, in the very beginning um, Aiello Otelli um, there was a lot of a lot a lot of a lot of a lot of good names and and of course with Capello as well this uh, this then developed forward from there um so i yeah because the, the Audi success at Le Mans i was thinking about this the other day that actually when you know when you look at the history books you've got this run of of victories at Le Mans 24 hours but actually what was so amazing about this era is that they weren't if you look at it you could you might think it was an easy thing to go out and, and win Le Mans with it. But it wasn't. There were so many close races. There were so many times when you were the underdogs. You mentioned Pescarolo. There was a year when Persia was ultimately a lot quicker. Um, it's the sort of the, do you think that you've lived through sort of one of the golden eras and competed in one of the golden eras at Le Mans? I mean, there's been so many, but it seems to me that really the last, you know, these 20 years have been absolutely fantastic. Is that how it's felt from the inside? Yes, I mean, obviously, the time when when you are there, it's it's when you have to do the your utmost, and uh, I certainly have enjoyed it very much. It's a privilege to work with great co-drivers and great teams, but 
every race I can talk for hours about every race and tell how close it was how the decision was made or how uh, there, there's so much uh, to it and many times it's it's also won by the mechanics when we had a, a pit stop I have to change something I mean you know if it if it takes three minutes, we, we might win Le Mans. If it takes four minutes, there's no chance we can win. You know, uh, uh, there's so so much to it. And I think that's why, for example, like 2008, where there was no way we were going to win and the press was all over us. We couldn't win in 2008 because the pretest we were 3.7 seconds slower than the Peugeot. But, you know, with the rain, with the, with the whole thing of not accepting to give up, but, but still, even though listening to all that... Uh, humiliation of not being able to win we didn't want to accept it and yeah the race has it that there was rain and, and through the night we passed the Peugeot and at Capello Magnitian myself we, 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 we won uh, and everyone within the team I've never felt so that everyone was so proud and so happy you know, some of the victories has been fantastic for and for a lot of people within the team but there it was everyone and uh, and to be uh, in 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 that state of of um, was was absolutely fantastic. So that sort of knack that Audi had to win races was that always there, or did it did it develop the ability to win races when it shouldn't have done? Because it still had it last year. It was still beating the Porsche when really it was the slower car. So. I think, um, of course, there's a lot of pressure whenever when you're competing for a manufacturer because um, uh, there's expectations to win when you're going through the decisions early on, when you're planning, when you're working on it. So you're racing with, 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 with that pressure as well. But there's always that natural hunger of, um, of, of, of sportsmanship and gamemanship in, within, the, within the team. And that bodes well from the teams, which has primarily with Joost, but also the other teams which have raced for Audi. Uh, that DNA, um, I think, very much comes from, from Ingolstadt and Negasul. It's, it's hardworking people. And at first, they can glance a little bit like, yeah, he's pretty, he's pretty hard on, on you. But actually, um, there's a lot. There's a lot of soul behind the be, behind that face. Um, those people who have asked me, Doctor Wolleck seems very stern to me, and really, and I think they're joking because he's actually absolutely the opposite when you when you know him. Um, so, but then again, it. Um, I think the competition at Le Mans and, and the race itself, the respect that people have there when they go racing, uh, I think that gets the best out of people. So for me, that's why it's it's the best race because you can't sort of... You, you can't fudge a win at Le Mans, no. really. It's, to yeah. me, not. Yeah. Did you find it more difficult to beat your teammates then than to beat Peugeot in a way? Sometimes, uh, sometimes yes, because of course with equal... Uh, it, uh, you have to make sure that you, in the way of preparing the car everything was equal with Audi we start with equal terms and I think that's also already you can take that away when when you're setting up the team with with Dr. Ulrich is that you you try to work the best you can with with your car and your engineers but you you got the same uh, the same tools and um, I think that, that that's very good but for sure it's also well, has been both uh, positively stressful and, and great competition. But to keep the camaraderie and the competition together, uh, I think that bodes in respect. And I think with Audi, this is something which have been managed over the years. Of course, there has been races or situation or laps or overtakings where 
the radio can get hot, but 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 this is in the name of the competition, and Togdulak has always let that happen. He just don't want us to, as you say, to have see two cars going off together. Do you see that? Sorry, do you see that in the Porsches now as well? That they're kind of out to beat each other more than they are. <laughs> no, not not necessarily, but also last year. I mean, it was Toyota's race until it was not and it couldn't be more late than that so everyone of course uh, felt sorry for them uh, incredibly sorry for them there but for sure there is competition uh, within the the driver teams but it has to be handled good uh, otherwise it can very much penalize the of course a team but uh, you see that everywhere that's not only in 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 the WEC this you see in F1 you see it in DTM you see it everywhere now it's there's we we could talk about well as you say we could talk about each individual Le Mans for, for entire hour, but I would really like to talk about British Touring Car Championship. Um, <laughs> because um, it's, now I'm going to preface this with the fact that I love Knock Hill. Um, I was born and brought up just near it. Um, but you had won Le Mans, this is in 2000. You then, what was it like being part of this national British championship and going to places like Knock Hill? Um, well, a fantastic circuit, but it's not Le Mans, is it? Um, was it quite a shock to the system? Was it, I mean, sort of getting used to that or, d or was it just good, good fun? It was good fun. It was with West Surrey uh, racing and uh, with Dick Bennett's team and the team manager Malcolm Swetnam. He, 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 um, the, the thing was to come to England was that the, we should travel I think in February uh, just with uh, just with um, an, an interim car just to do a few laps on every circuit. So we sort of did a tour uh, and I went to Knockhill, and the weather was not terrible. Good. Uh, it was actually uh, it looked a little bit like um, Switzerland in terms of uh, in terms of not green but white. Uh, and we went to Croft and and things like that. So that was my very first time there. But I, I love the racing track, and I remember I had a fantastic fight with uh, Rydell. Uh, he was in the Mondeo that year, uh, and at, at Knockhill, and um, it was. Uh, Good, good track as well. I like, I love the Alton Park. I think that my first win came at Alton Park. It should have come at uh, at Brands Hatch, but as you have a driver over here, I forgot his name, and I don't want to want to mention it. Did but you know, Jason, P? Jason, Did something, yeah. Pluto, something, Pluto, or something. Yeah, yeah. something after a planet Mercury. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. But uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but you, you know, you you were successful in you know, winning both of the last two rounds at Silverstone. Um, and that was part of the night race. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did it, I mean, I know this might be sound like a very obvious question, but did the night racing at Le Mans help that, or was it just a totally different experience? And it, it did, but it was it was about to go wrong. I, I think I won the first race from wherever I came from, and then started the the, the, the night race on pole, and um, I got away clean. And I remember I was leading, but they kept telling me on the radio to uh, to switch on the lights. But um, I just had apparently just a little bit of position lights on. I didn't have the high beam on, um, and I it, it didn't work. I couldn't switch it on. But then at some stage they were about to to put me a mechanical failure on it. And Malcolm was talking to them, and then it just happened that I 
passed and I was leading, so I had a clear track, but then I just did the fastest lap and Malcolm said, I did the fastest lap, so how can, if it's, there's no light, he's leading. <laughs> so he managed to, team managing wise, to do a, a Jason play to, to talk ourselves out of it. So the last victory was actually done just with position lights, but there was a bit of floodlight, so I don't know. It might be blessed from my mom and dad's uh, good eyesight, uh, which, uh, which uh, has helped, but, but things are happening a bit a bit slower on track in, in British touring car, even though that I have to say it was very physically and um, and with the different kinds of circuit it was, it's, uh, it was a splendid championship. But to finish the super touring era off with, uh, with winning is something which made uh, not only the team very proud, uh, but uh, also myself. They were, I mean, they must have been fantastic cars to drive. I mean, it's obviously so different to... You know the sports cars you were driving, but they were in terms of tin tops. Yeah, they must have been great around someone like Knock Hill or you know. Or yeah, front wheel drive very very liked. light on the on the rear. So I mean, the temperature had an incredibly influence. So when you were testing these cars in low temperature, they were really really uh, edgy and they were they were breaking away very easily. Another uh, in but but yeah, they were they were great cars to to drive. But for sure. It's not the real pleasure. It was more the physical aspect of outracing each other, trying to outfox each other, and always having contact. In, Brit in Britain, you would not be able to pass cars or be passed without uh, without contact, and uh, that was a good thing to learn. But I was learning that during the season, so um, I would maybe have loved to have done another season, and then uh, in total maybe being able to fight for the championship. But I still love my time uh, doing that one season. And um yeah. I, I, We've got lots of listeners' questions, so I should um, should ask some of them. Um, uh, it's, there's one here from Anthony Jenkins. Um, nice question about your time at Le Mans. And he's wondering what your favorite moment of all was, time of day, location. It was, I mean, it the favorite moment was, Jürgen. <laughs> <laughs> Is it possible to get the brake pedal a little bit little back? Bit. <laughs> that's, that's a famous moment. But I mean, for sure, when you get into the 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 morning where the race has settled and you have been in the race a long time, and if you can start to to see it's 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 going well, there's nothing better than that. In the dusk, sunrise, uh, being in the car, everything is going well. Um, of course, there's still there's still plenty of hours to go, but uh, that's sort of a, a, a very very nice time of the race, and you see that everything is a bit slow in terms of spectators. Less people on the tribunes, less people. They even some are sleeping around some places. But then they put the kind Danish people. They put the flag that they're still holding the flag a few places. You can see that, and obviously the Audi is running smoothly. That's uh, that that's the favorite. I think time and moment in the uh, in the race, apart from from uh, taking the checkered flag for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's something that I'd love to talk a little bit about is Sebring. Um, you had so much success there, six wins. Um, before we talk about the track and and sort of what it's like, I saw a video the other day, um, and you mentioned John John Heindhoff, um, who hosted the evening last night, um, who took you on a fly, I would say flying lap of Sebring. Um, and your face it is if if you're listening, just Google this video because it's absolutely brilliant. Um, and you, I've never seen anyone look so nervous in, in their lives. What? How did that come about? And and why did you say yes? Do you regret it? Um, I was invited to the um, 
Hall of Fame to the to to Sebring. So I was just arriving that day. I think this is just before the night practice on the Thursday before Sebring uh, last year. And uh, Martin Pass uh, arranged that I should uh, drive John Heinhoff around uh, the circuit and tell a little bit about the past. That's wonderful. So I arrived uh, with Martin and no Heinhoff. But then he arrives just two minutes before we were supposed to meet in a car. And because we had only track access right there, he said, jump in. And I said, jump in? I mean, <laughs> no, I'm driving. <laughs> And that's the first time I understood he was driving. And I said, no way. I'm not I, thought, I thought that was scripted. I didn't realize I, that. It was, but <laughs> not, not told not to me. And I think it was me. So I said, I'm not going in next to you, John. Are you crazy? You're a commenter. You, 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 you do great commentary. You're the voice, but you're certainly not the driver. And he started to, you know, come on in. We are doing this. And we, we, have, we, we can only do a, a certain amount of laps. All right, I jump in. And he goes out of turn 17 and he goes, ah, well, can we have Tom and blah, 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 on board? We're going on. And then he floors it. And I go, <laughs> and, and just going down the straight into turn one, he sort of wanted me to, uh, to answer. And I, I stop. <laughs> I think they edited it all out. And I said, you go slow because I, I cannot concentrate about trying to give you some decent, uh, I mean, I, no, I don't trust you. <laughs> and that, that sort of goes around. I think they edited a lot of things out. And John is sort of going over. I mean, I tried to explain him a little bit about which apex he has to hit. And uh, so it was uh, it was hilarious. <laughs> I, I know he's taking license. I know he will go to Nürburgring. And all. That's fine. But I'm, I don't want to go with him in the car. Absolutely uh, not necessarily. <laughs> Brilliant. I, I, I mean, Sebring it is, I mean, it's a, it's a very specific track, isn't it? Because it's very. really, it's really bumpy, and it still is. It's not like Le Mans that's sort of resurfaced and smooth. And um, oh, yeah. I think not, not not compared to Le Mans, but for sure Le Mans has developed over the years. But Sebring, not really. I mean, uh, there are circuits like the old Nurburgring. There are circuits like some circuits in Japan, but uh, Macau, uh, Po, but Sebring the same. I mean. To be honest, I, I, I spoke a bit with Sir Sterling Moss at Goodwood and, 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 and the circuit layout is, is very much the same like back then. Of course, there's barriers, there's some other chicanes, but it's the, the, the actually what we're driving on, the concrete is the same. And it's, it's very, it's very right. challenging yeah. for the car, but also for the line of, of always having to pass because with, with the traffic that has been at the races, it's... It's a very mental, uh, tough, tough race, and we we all we all love it. I mean, all the people competing at Sebring, they they love that track. And in a way, when you're getting there on a test day, it looks quite ugly. But from a racing perspective, when you are there and looking for the ideal line, it's absolutely beautiful. And uh, when you fill it up with hundred thousand spectators over the weekend, and they are into the zoo, into turn ten, it's going crazy. Um, that's that's that that's splendid. Would you, would you sorry? Would you agree that it's more challenging to do twelve hours of Sebring than twenty four hours of Le Mans? A lot of people say it's the most physical of the races. <laughs> I won't, you, they, they are very, very, very strong, both of them. But uh, certainly, certainly Le Mans is 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 harder in in many ways. But that's for the length of the the race, for sure. If you compare twenty four hours of Sebring with twenty four hours of Le Mans, 
it will be uh, it will be tougher. But there's a good chance that if you have a good race um, with your car, technically, mechanically, when things are working after 12 hours, and some of the times we have tested, going on to test even further uh, at Sebring, then you 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 have a very strong package, and you can rely on going into maybe fine tune and find even more speed uh, for Le Mans, which is needed there, because with the speeds with the at Le Mans, a small small things can have a very very big outcome with the speech you are doing there at Sebring it just there's just a lot of walls a lot of concrete a lot of bumps and um, and obviously a lot of dirt sand and and also a lot of confusions with uh, with with slower cars must be quite difficult to avoid the bumps after 12 hours to keep missing the isn't the big bump at the end of the the last hairpin the most yeah, 2017. There's a there's a big bump in the middle, but it, it's it's literally bumpy everywhere. So <laughs> of course you need to run a, a sort of a softer setup, and and you know with with the aerodynamically advanced cars we have nowadays. I mean, running a car softer uh, creates the platform movement, and then you have the aero kicking in. So for sure the cars are on the edge a lot at, at, at Sebring to get that rhythm and also the build up of grip over the race at Sebring over the 12 hours in the racing line is, is, is quite phenomenal because when you come for the beginning of the week on the concrete it's there's no rubber but when you during the week it just builds up so much grip on the racing line and then a lot of uh, marbles offline as well so it's certainly a, um, a very easy race <laughs> to be out of uh, within a fraction of a second. The, I'm going to take a couple more questions. There's one from Jamie Smith here, um, and he'd love to hear your thoughts on the current LMP1 field. Um, do you think the category can survive in its current format? Because obviously, you know, Audi has now dropped out, um, and the, the, there are, when you look back at 99 when you were there, Mercedes, Toyota, Nissan, Audi, BMW, you know, there's loads of manufacturers in the top class. Very few now. Um, what, what are your thoughts on the, on the current state of play? It, 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 it's good. It's uh, it's a very healthy. It's a great uh, great championship, and I, I'm I'm sure there will be other manufacturers looking at coming in uh, when when Audi Audi left. Uh, um, but also, you see the, the 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 depth of the championship in total from the the GT cars, the G, the GTLM, um, the LMP2 cars, and now it's interesting to see how it's all. Let's say. Uh, as you know, a, a racing driver is not involved with politics, but I would say from from America, from the great Daytona they had with the DPI cars, and and see how it's all going to to mingle. Because for me, it's the best uh, kind of racing there is, as it's as I mentioned before, healthy, the environmental, the way we are, uh, the paddocks. It's 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 just the best kind of racing. There's constantly overtakings due to the classes as well, and within the classes, the. The competition is uh, is uh, is incredibly strong. Uh, the fact that with the tire manufacturers you can develop and try to race something which you can be spot on the limit for um, for a long time, and if not, then you better get on with it and, and and work with it. So in in that sense, I think it's healthy, and I think it will. Um, of course, it has a little bit of a shock for for the people, uh, for for us as well with the with 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 the Audi pullout. But you really have, or in my mind. Uh, we we uh, we have to thank, or I certainly thank Audi uh, for uh, for what they have done um, for uh, for my time and 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 career at, at Le Mans. So thanks for that. Yeah, do, I mean, t was it a shock when Audi told you that? I mean, I guess you didn't hear uh, through the sort of normal channels of 
of news um, that you m must have been called. But w was it a shock when Audi withdraw, withdrew, or did you see that coming? Of course, it w will not continue forever. So, so I sensed something. But I was actually working for Audi, and uh, I was in uh, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, uh, with uh, with Audi Sport, with the heritage of us. We're opening a new uh, branch down there uh, on the day when it uh, happened, and I just uh, know ab knew about it um, um, a few hours before the media. Uh, so yes, that was a, a shock. The timing was a shock, but um, as you know, a big manufacturer. There's there's no, there's no, uh, there's no bad timing. There's no good timing, but it has to be one pull, um, and I think that was was done early enough uh, that everyone could get on with with uh, because of course for for drivers for teams it is a it's a major thing, but of course also for the organizers absolutely. But it couldn't be had had been done um, in a in a. A better way than than what Audi did. Yeah. Now, it's, am I right in thinking that you're in charge of driver fitness at Audi at the moment? Is that do you still play quite an active role in the driver fitness? So, in terms of you telling yeah. lots of twenty-year-olds to <laughs> how fit they need to be and things. Oh, no, I'm what? I'm I'm happily involved with them, and I, I call it I'm sort of the uh, supporter, a motivator when we are doing the, the, the our fitness uh, uh, weeks. With uh, then I'm I'm there and. I'm very helpful doing the programs, doing what we would like to do, and and with the doctor Vincenzo Tota, we we make sure that we have a a good strategy for that. And now after uh, Dr. Ulrich uh, stepped uh, a little bit back, it's with Dieter Gas. Uh, so uh, I'm involved in that. But at the end of the day, who is involved? That's themselves and the drivers are doing a, a very good uh, program uh, daily and are, are very strong. So in that sense, it's, it's an easy job for me, uh, but um, it's something which is, is fantastic to be involved with after, after my career because it's something which I pushed for myself a lot when I was, when I was competing. Um, you had to, to be on your top form uh, all the time when you go into these great cars. And uh, am I right? You're also the president of the FIA Drivers Commission. Yes. Yeah. So, could you just tell um, um, tell me what what is it and what is it that you do? Because I think there's sort of an element of mystery in terms of exactly what goes on, just for everyone everyone listening. Because there's lots of really important work you do do, but I just don't think it's reported that widely. Um, the, the 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 Drivers Commission. We are we are great um, commission, which we are in that sense we are having. Uh, meetings uh, three, four times a year where we are discussing all sorts of things which comes from the, let's say, uh, the different commissions under the FIA. It can be circuit commission, it can be single-seater commission, it can be different uh, way. There will be a lot of uh, sort of issues which they would like our views on. So we're trying to, to push that uh, and giving the, the best possible uh, answer, solution, and sometimes we 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 go a little bit further than that, but we are not uh, uh, what you say regular commission. We are supporting and advising, and uh, there's a lot of subjects to be to be discussed uh, during the year in terms of, of regulation, in terms of circuit, in terms of uh, a lot of a lot of aspect. And uh, obviously, we have the commission are are from from karting, from off road, from rally cross, from touring cars, from GT to Formula One. And uh, the WEC. So, on drivers, who do you think is the next sports car star? In a way, 
there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, good <laughs> good drivers at the moment. Uh, absolutely, <sighs> I can mention a lot of names, yep. but uh, because I think the competition is uh, is very 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 good, very strong uh, at the moment. And last year we saw a lot of drivers uh, progress really well, and. Um, and I still feel a part of it, even though it's only two years ago since I left it. But I can I can still sense it and uh, understand in a way how it's uh, how it's going. And uh, I think I think the the races we saw last year there was very very strong uh, commitment and uh, abilities from drivers. I, uh, talking about stiff competition, um, am I right in thinking you're about to drive a Rover SD1? At Goodwood members meeting. Apparently, <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> Just apparently, have you have you not heard about all the details yet? No, um, but but that's uh, usual. I have a lot of faith in uh, the only thing I require. I have been at the Goodwood revival. I have been five times and driving different cars. And apart from the first time when uh, the days before the Silverstone um, WEC race. I went and I tested this um, Austin Westminster A95, which I drove the first time there. I did a testing a test with with them. All the other times, I I I, I see the car just before uh, we do the the drivers briefing in the tent uh, in front of the Goodwood House. Um, and I, the first time I I drive the car is in the official qualifying, and I think that's the way it should be. So that's what I do every year. Uh, and now it will be the first time with a members meeting and uh, and yes I heard it was a rover I heard it was a Triumph Dolomite but apparently it's a rover um, and uh, it's a British car British heritage so um, I will for sure go and try to tr to treat that that, uh, that well and I don't know if it's a race a demonstration or whatever but I, th I think it's a race yeah but yeah. Uh, Normally, even though a demonstration, it will end up in a in a <laughs> yeah. in a race. But exactly. it, it's it's just fantastic that at least with the revival that you step back in time before you were born to drive cars, which uh, which obviously uh, requires a completely different driving style, and 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 that's just lovely to do that now after I'm retired. So it extending my career sort of. Um, uh, both ways, and uh, and the older you get, the more you get for the history and the heritage of our sport. It's a, um, it's it's always uh, good to be um, invited with Lord Marsh. And actually, this year I, I, I tried to attend all the, his three events, um, members meeting now for the first time, and Festival of Speed, and then later the the revival. I just love the thought of you getting from your Audi LMP1 car into an Austin Westminster. <laughs> could you think of two more different cars in the world than those two? Probably not. Probably not. I mean, but they. <laughs> I went in the wrong side of it actually. <laughs> so, but <laughs> and <laughs> and one time in another car, I tried to 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 do the gear change and I opened the door, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but. It's, um, it's a, I mean, they're fantastic events, the Goodwood events, aren't they? they um, and, and the circuit actually is, it, from your perspective, it is a fun circuit. It's a very fast circuit, but it's also quite challenging, is it not? Yeah, it's it's a bit like, I like that thing that it's green next to and you, you treat it with respect. So you just, you don't go in and go 
sort of flat out and run a little bit wide in terms of track limits and come back. There's not sort of that that thing uh, there, which uh, which I like. It's a bit like when you came to Le Mans in the in the early days. It, it you built the, the up the pace and feel the car and and try to to sort of uh, feel the car a little bit below limit and uh, and then you go. And that for me that. Rec- that produces a lot better races as well because there is this chemistry within the field of drivers when you have that natural respect for 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 circuits and the other owner you're the owner's cars as well so <laughs> yeah. this you tend to forget right after you said <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll cut that bit out otherwise your, your over sd1 drive might disappear um I just, we've only got a few minutes left but i wanted to do a sort of an, uh, a new segment on these talk shows, um, and that's to ask sort of four questions that we're going to ask every guest that we have this year. So they're sort of quite general questions, but hopefully we'll get some some interesting answers. Um, there's actually someone who's actually asked a question regarding this first one. So um, the first question is one car and one track. Which car would you take to which track for to do ten laps? <sighs> I think I answered that question in. Uh, so it was the Boston Westminster, wasn't it? A, a good word. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's 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 not a fair question. Uh, but uh, the, I have just been blessed of driving so many different cars. I'd love to step back in and 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 drive again. Um, Do you think the circuit would be Le Mans though? Is that is that always going to hold that special place in your heart? Yeah, but right now I I still remember Le Mans after so many laps. I would probably think back to go maybe to Macau. Why not go back to Macau? Maybe in the first time I was there, in the maybe in the Rolt RT31 with the with the, with a Volkswagen. Um, I don't know, but it, it's just I would like to go some a little bit further away from what I have done, just to get that sensation again. Because I drove the at Le Mans the 2000 Audi R8 um, at the anniversary the, when I was Grand Marshal. What was it? Uh, two years ago, but. I drive 40 meters in it. I just have to drive up where I have to start, and everything feels normal. I feel the sensation like how it was um, 15 years earlier, and that was uh, that. That's a nice sensation to get that, and that's why I would like to go even further back to 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 try something. If you're talking about the best car, there's there's so many things. One is the most beautiful, elegant. One is the most aggressive. One is the 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 aerodynamically beast in a way that's a car down here in the lobby, um, the Formula One test maybe with the Williams was probably the best car when I drove at at uh, in in terms of Formula One cars were, were driving that in um, in Magna Cour, the the Michelin tests were of course with the groove tires so uh, that was a that was a bit of a challenge there but so many cars yeah okay so the second question is who has influenced you the most during your career my my dad and then a lot of great uh my dad definitely have inspired me the the most and he has always been my sort of uh, in that sense greatest critics uh, but also greatest supporter in that way but then i have been blessed with so many people along the way of of people i could trust and i felt that they really uh, wanted to help me and um, and then all my co-drivers because all my co-drivers in the in the races or teammates they have had um, a great influence um, as well as how everything has turned out. Did you uh, work much with uh, Norbert Singer when you were at Porsche? No, because when I was at when I was at Porsche, it was a private team. So actually, we were 
um, in a way uh, against uh, his uh, um, his works team that year. But I know Nobert Singh and I respect him. And obviously, from all the things he has done, mainly pre my time at Le Mans, is uh, is obviously fantastic. And and that's uh, obviously. Uh, a golden era of what he has been involved with and, and producing. So I always uh, stop and have a very short conversation with him when I meet him in the paddock, very briefly, and um, and a smile and hi and see you later. Because I know he's, he kind of made that car into a Le Mans winner, didn't he? The year before, he kind of fixed it in a way because it wasn't too drivable. So I guess you owe him that again, I guess. Yeah, no, in that sense, yeah, yeah for sure he's worked with yours the, the, in that sense. But I didn't work directly with him on any race car. Uh, I know Alan McNish does, yeah. did, and, 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 and he speaks also, or he speaks fondly about uh, Norbert, for sure. Um, so final, final couple of questions. Um, when Was there a period in time when you knew that motor racing was going to be your life? Um, did that was that very early age? Because obviously, you know, no, you it was very. It was not an early age. In, in short, I was born on a gas station. My dad was driving, but only when he sort of could afford it. And sometimes he had to jump a race or not, and otherwise they had to repair the car and go again. So I grew up watching over the fence. Uh, my dad driving different cars, uh, starting with a Volvo, started some Ford Escorts, Mac Ones, and, and fantastically. And and then he, he actually did Paris Dakar with with the, with the Tolman team driving the truck. And he came here to do a lot of hot rod races. I think he was um, introduced to Tolman because Barry Lee came sometimes to Denmark. And my dad beat the beat him a few times. And I think in that sense, he sort of recommended uh, my dad to uh, to this team. Um, but that was all my influence um, in the in the early days. But I'm not blessed with a lot of money, so all the times of eating the muesli, trying to hopefully be be fit and 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 and, and taking good opportunities in karting and progressing from there. Uh, my mom would go around the breakfast table and say, "You know, Tom, there's not. I mean, <laughs> in 10 million people, there might be one driver who can live a racing. So you need another education. So you sort of look up from the table and, and just get eye contact with your dad. <laughs> and uh, he, you know, he, ju he just let the eye wander a little bit. And you, yeah, mom, you're right. You're right. I will look for something. And that's how why I, I'm actually, um, I'm educated a bank uh, clerk, bank assistant, uh, because I did an after karting and winning Scandinavian, second in the world, and all these good karting results resulted in thousand days of not knowing if I was uh, going to make uh, make it into racing. So Bertram Schäfer is very important for me. He signed me in German F3, 1991, and he's very influential to me to make my pro career. Without that call, it might nothing might ever have happened. So. Uh, I will never forget that. And not particularly that we won the first race in Solda. It was the year after Schumacher won the German F3 Championship and I won the first race in Solda. And I, I never forget that he came with me on the podium and he put the finger sort of behind me and, and said to me in German that, uh, Tom, du wirst seine Karriere machen. That, that you have proven you have the, the, the talent to make a career. And uh, these words are also still in my mind. So I think that's the point you asked for. Yeah, um, it must be the fastest bank clerk in the world. I, I drove the bank bus uh, <laughs> at, one, at, one, at one time, and uh, the lady was going with me. Was 
quite nervous. A little bit, yeah. especially when the phone rang because the phone is uh, down in the bottom. And if I was driving to the next stop, she will have to walk back <laughs> through. But there was a mirror, and so when I could always do a little bit of jiggling, <laughs> and she was sort of doing a tank slab. And you know, for a woman working in the bank, it could look quite. Interesting. I, wa I, I wonder whether John Hindhoff's lap round Sebring was, was payback for, for those early years in the bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, the final question. Um, I think, obviously, talking about the banking clerk, you know, if you weren't a racing driver, what, what would you have been? I guess the banking career would have, would have carried on. Or do you think you would have worked in racing somehow? I'd, I, get, I'd, I mean, I guess, obviously, with your being brought up around you know, your dad racing and the garage and everything like that, there must have been a part of you that wanted to be involved in motorsport in, in some way, I guess, or, or maybe not. Yeah, but the opportunities were not many from the city where I was from and, and, and things in that sense. So I might be, you know, shirt, short sleeves, tie, sitting uh, sitting at a bank, clerk's desk, <laughs> well, looking very happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, thankfully you weren't. Um, what a fantastic career you've had. Um, Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. Extremely kind. Uh, look forward to seeing you at Race Retro. Jack, thank you very much for joining us for your podcast debut. And Alan, as always, uh, thank you so much for recording all of this, both on video and audio. Um, if you'd like to ask questions, just do please com uh, leave comments because um, we'll be back next month for another talk show and we'll see you all then. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 